Welcome to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. I'm Gar O'Hara, and this week I'm excited to be joined by Sunil Saleh, Head of Cyber and Information Security over at Minter Ellison. We've met over the years on panels and events, and I've always really appreciated Sunil's commentary. He comes from a heavily technical background, having worked at Tata Consultancy Services as an engineer, then progressing into IT security consulting. He headed to PwC Australia as an IT security manager, and now heads up cyber over at Minter Ellison. In the episode, we talk about COVID and how that has changed the dynamics for the Minter Ellison staff, the move into mobile workforces, what the new normal looks like, key challenges Sunil and his team face during the various stages of COVID transition, the balance between security and external digital collaboration, cloud as a path to resilience, end user behavior programs, and what Sunil has learned through the COVID transition. As always, he delivers with solid and practical insights. So over to the episode. Welcome to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sunil Saleh, Head of Cyber and Information Security at Minter Ellison. How are you doing today, Sunil? Thank you, Gar. I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me for the podcast. I've read so much about it on and seen it on LinkedIn. Excited to be here. Great to uh, great to have you. We've kind of met a few times over the years. We've been on panels together and um, various events. So I've, I've heard you speak and, and kind of dig what you've got to say. And um, I suppose the catalyst for this conversation was uh, seeing your commentary in, I think it was ITWR uh, fairly recently about the um, experience of Minter Allison. So I was like, oh, really keen to get Sunil on to, uh, to have a chat uh, about that experience. Um, has COVID been treating you so far? Oh, yeah. Well, COVID's been very different like everyone else. It's uh, yeah. completely started off as un- it wasn't something that we planned or anyone had planned for, but uh, yeah, it's thrown a spiral into the works and into the strategy and everything else. We haven't read yeah. it in the entire book. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is crazy. Um, so, Neil, we always kind of like to start with the guests, kind of introducing themselves, getting to know them, like how did they arrive to where they are today in their career? Um, so I'd love to hear from you, like just how did you arrive to kind of be the head of cyber and information security over at Minter Ellison? Yeah. Uh, probably the interesting part is I didn't plan or it wasn't a goal to be the head of cyber and information security at one of the most prestigious firms. It uh, probably happened along the way, probably in a, with some good opportunities and with some amazing bosses and great mentoring. But uh, probably the normal version is, you know, did, started out as an engineer. I started working for Tata Consulting, Tata Consulting which is a IT services major. It's a massive, it's a giant in India and across the world now. And I started working for Norton Networks and both in Mumbai and in, in India and in the US. And there I started working on a couple of features, some of the telecom features called Kalia, which is you know, wiretapping basically. So that sort of, right. sort of kicked off my interest in security per se. And then after I did that for about five years and uh, then I quit my job and I got into, uh, I did my uh, IT management, uh, did my MBA from SPJ. There I, it gave me a good perspective and an understanding of what is IT operations, what is, uh, the, what is, what do we mean by value and ROI and what is the meaning of, you know, IT management per se as a, as a business. And then funny enough, my old employer, they hired me back into the security consulting practice. And uh, the consulting was pretty interesting because it gave me a very good overview on the different domains, went to a mm. lot of clients and there it helped me understand the different domains of security and got me started in the, in the deep dive into the security journey. Then I joined uh, PwC as an internal IT security manager. And after five years, I 
John Winters, and yeah, it feels like yesterday, but yeah, it, it's been five years now. <laughs> been very exciting, and yeah, it's uh, it's uh, still feels like there's a lot, lot, lot more to go. <laughs> yeah, it's it is amazing how quickly time goes. Uh, yeah, five years. Yeah, it, it seems like it should feel like a long time, and and yeah, it can happen in the blink of an eye. Especially, I think, in cybersecurity because things change so quickly. Yes. And it's such a fast-paced environment that um yeah it feels like every time you blink it's it's like <laughs> it's like a whole new landscape out there. Um yes, but yes. probably like the, the biggest thing and obviously everybody's talking about it is the COVID, uh, sorry COVID and how that's kind mm-hmm. of impacted so many organizations around the world and and dramatically impacted them. And as I was reading your uh, commentary and your words were that COVID has completely changed the dynamics for how the um, two and a half thousand Minterellis and staff work. And, and I kind of wonder then, like, when did you realize how big the change ahead of you was going to be? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, we I'd, I'd say after we after we got the announcement that everyone has to work from home, that's when sort of the the reality hit home, saying that oh, we're not we're not ready for this, right? Mm. So uh, our, I mean, Mint has always had a flexible work policy. So I used to work from home one day a week, even before COVID. And we had a lot of our staff working from home in a couple of days a week. And flexible policy was always there. And uh, you know, we were actively promoting that as well. But there wasn't as much uptake and the infrastructure wasn't ready for that. So infrastructure only was only right-sized at that point of time. But uh, we didn't plan for two and a half thousand staff to work remotely you know, at, the, at the same time. So uh, when when it was announced that you know, the entire firm has to work remotely, that's when we had to upgrade our Citrix, Citrix infrastructure. We had to buy new remote uh, you know, RSA tokens for everyone to you know, log in remotely. We had to buy additional hardware, laptops, and everything else, and set up our staff to to enable them to work remotely. They, it kicked off a lot of activities. And to look back, it's, it's quite amazing what we have achieved as a firm to enable everyone to work remotely within a week. But uh, it's, it's it's completely changed the entire the way we think about you know what's required to work. What are the most valuable things for us to enable our staff to work? Yep. And and what were those things like when you think about the productivity side of things? Because I think that's the challenge. You know, there's this security versus productivity is you know it's the age old conversation yes. we have in in this industry. Uh, perfect security means no one can do anything. But you know, with that transition into uh, working from home, what what were your priorities, or what were the things that you saw? Um, I suppose as as kind of key security requirements, without getting in the way of people actually being productive and being able to do their jobs. So uh, when we when we had the announcement that we all had to work remotely, we had to reset our strategy and revisit our strategy to see what solutions we already had on our endpoints and what additional solutions do we need to look at to enable. Our staff to work remotely and, and in a secure manner as well. And again, it comes back to the question on balancing productivity and and security. And one of the key things we had was, uh, for example, we used Mimecast, and that from an email security perspective we were covered. From a continuity perspective, again, we were covered because all the archives again we use Mimecast. So we had good confidence from from an email perspective. Now, COVID helped us understand what are the key. Things that we need to look at, look at from a client servicing and uh, and and enabling our user perspectives, right? Hmm. So that's where we started looking at VPN is one of the core infrastructure or core technology that we have to enable, and we can't put any security policy to sort of block someone from logging on. 
or we had technologies to isolate a particular laptop, but we had to look at ways to, you know, to bring it back onto the network, password resets, and all those things came to the forefront. COVID in some ways highlighted some of our weak spots. If, if someone's working remotely, how do we enable them to work remotely in a secure manner as well? So we had to rewrite some of our policies, but uh, overall it, it, it turned out well because uh, it, it gave us a more robust strategy and also more thinking towards resilience as well. Yeah, definitely get that. The, you raised an interesting point around um, well, things like password resets, but even worse would be uh, machine rebuilds. Um, you know, if something really dramatic yes. goes wrong. Um, and I've actually been through this, not because of a security issue, but just because of a... Um, essentially a hardware failure on my laptop and um you know it was it was fine i was able to get a turnaround time very quickly and get a new one sent out but th- that when you think about the the way we could just walk over to the it desk and say hey you know this this problem is happening and they could say well let me just go fix it for you you know physically they were able to do what was required have you guys figured out that or are you shipping laptops and you know spending money on dhl to <laughs> to send equipment around to to, to, uh- to help it's, it's 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 interesting you asked that. I mean, we, we had the exact same issue for a couple mm-hmm. of laptops where it had a blue screen of that, and not during when we were transitioning to the COVID scenario, but post that on August or July and August timeframes. Yeah. So when we deployed a particular Windows patch, just you know, did a blue screen of death in a couple of laptops, and the users were in Melbourne as well, where there was complete lockdown. So we had to rely on couriers to to send them the actual laptops and collect their old laptops and. It, again, it triggered a whole set of requirements for us to see you know, this this model doesn't work. If there is a blue screen of death, we, we want to make sure that the user user can continue working. So the remote working, the support model isn't designed for remote workers. So we yeah. have to redesign that and make sure that you know, our users who are working remotely, they can still continue working. We have Citrix and everything else, but Citrix doesn't give the same level of experience. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, sort of different thing. Yeah, I think so like like so many of us, we're all kind of figuring it out, and it definitely does feel like COVID is. It's really been a catalyst for things that were trending anyway, right? I mean, work from yes. home was it was on the uptick. Uh, most organizations were looking at flexible work arrangements. It was a big requirement for uh, you know hiring good talent and and being attractive to like the top end of of talent in any organization. They they tended to want some version of flexible work arrangements. And um, it says like, w- was Minter Ellison kind of moving towards that anyway? Like mo- mobile working, remote working, was that a, was that a trend for you guys? That that, that was uh, so we had a flexible work policy, but there was no push to work from home. It was mm-hmm. more as a as a as a policy uh, as an additional benefit for for us to uh, work from home. There was no push that you know, we have to have or you can only walk into office a couple of days or weeks sort of thing. So it was an additional benefit of you know you can work from home anytime you want. But uh, with COVID now, it's uh, it's become a mandate. It's not a yeah. mandate. It's more saying that you know you only come into office if you need to be in office. And many of our staff and like many other organizations, they love working from home because you know their work life balance is much more. Uh, I think it's much more real now rather than you know, earlier time when you have to jump on the train and sit on the train for an hour, reach office, and then come back home, and just rush home to pick up kids and things like that. Now you you can use all the time to spend more time in with your kids and uh, also spend less time on train with strangers, right? Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. We yeah. um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics were they you know they do these surveys around COVID and they kind of ask 
uh, Australian citizens, you know, various questions around the COVID experience. And one of the questions is, um, post COVID, you know, what are the things that you want to continue? Like what do you, like the changes that have happened, what do you want to see, see stay in place? And one in four Australians all kind of say like actually working remotely, you know, work from home is, it, it just makes my life better. And uh, I've certainly seen plenty of coverage in uh, many of the kind of larger uh, newspapers in Australia talking about this thing where uh, for many people, exactly what you said, you know, they're spending two, three, four hours a day sitting on trains, going places to often do yeah. what we're doing right now, which is sit on a Zoom session <laughs> to somebody who's exactly, yes. <laughs> remote anyway, um, which is quite a, quite astonishing. Yeah, and I think the the other aspect on where Mintis was heading, so we were heading towards a cloud first approach anyway. But so with, with COVID, it, it, the VPN was was sort of a you know, bottleneck for us in some ways because all the data is still hosted on prem. So uh, there, it highlighted that that need that sort of a, a shortfall from our strategy perspective. That if a work if someone's working remotely, we have to enable them. We have to enable them to get access to the data they need at the time they need it. So we can't really have this VPN as a bottleneck. So uh, it, it, the entire strategy is, uh, is sort of thrown out, out the this one and we're rewriting the entire strategy on, on when do we, you know, where, how do we process data? Where do we process data and things like that? It's more about enabling our remote workers and giving them access to data they need at the time they need it as well. And uh, it, with the cloud-first approach, that's that's sort of supercharged now. Yeah. So every... Every solution that we look at, the first question is: Is it hosted on in the, in the cloud? And uh, what IDM identity access management solutions are supported by that platform? And can we give access to a remote worker without VPN and using yeah. conditional access and things like that? Yeah, it's it's completely changed. It. I've been I've been trying to think about how I. I'm quite a visual person and, you know, like I think pre-COVID in, in a way, and it's, you know, nothing novel, I kind of saw a perimeter, yeah. you know, even though everyone says the perimeter is, is kind of going away, blah, blah, blah. We've been saying that for years, but there was a kind of mental picture I had of some version of a castle, a moat, and there was a gate yeah. where things like VPNs would let, let stuff in, let stuff out, and your company was in the walls. And now it feels like it's almost like a membrane where there's like your company and not your company, but there's a membrane that's sort of letting things through at various different places at worker levels and data levels yes. across the membrane, but doing it securely. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's such a different world, it feels like, compared to yeah this time last year. Yeah, and it's, it's also, uh, when you think about it, say we have codes using blue jeans, and in some cases, they want to use WhatsApp. So yep. it, it sort of... You know, all the consumer apps, they are or collaboration apps, they are coming to the forefront now. So we had we used to use Teams uh, from uh, WebEx, and we are using Teams internally now. And uh, Blue Jeans, Zoom, and everything else that wasn't heavily used. And even our staff, it it wasn't. If we had to meet our client, we'll go to their office. Yep. So uh, or we'll invite them to our office. So that was the norm before COVID. Now we sit in meetings pretty much all day. Our WebEx meetings has gone through the roof, right? So pretty much every day, everyone's sitting in meetings throughout the day and at the night or the evenings or late night, they're working. So uh, similarly, when the courts push WhatsApp or BlueJeans and other uh, other collaboration apps, it becomes from a data perspective and a security perspective, those are additional consumer apps we need to assess mm. and understand that, you know, how do, we, how do we keep a record of those calls? How do we keep a record of the, the instructions exchanged on WhatsApp? Mm. It all adds on to the our archiving process as well. So we're looking at different solutions saying, how do we look at you know archiving WhatsApp messages? 
if a client messages, you know, sends us instruction on WhatsApp, how do we keep a copy of that? And how do we keep a copy of blue jeans of, you know, someone chats on Zoom? How do we keep a copy of that? Where do we file that? Because we got to maintain a copy of pretty much every conversation that we do with the client. That, so, yeah, that, that generates a massive amount of data, doesn't it? And, and when you think about it, and, and then, yeah. And so you've raised a really interesting, yeah, a really interesting point around that operational use of shadow IT, because we talk about it from a security perspective quite a lot, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. yeah. it's not not a, a great thing to be dropping potentially confidential files in, in a like a Dropbox, for example. Um, but you've raised a really interesting kind of um, point around the data governance um, side of things. If it's end-to-end encrypted, you know, a, a consumer-grade communications um, application, what is the mechanism for doing that other than policy? Is it that you have to say, hey, look, you just can't use WhatsApp to interact with clients? And would that even work? Um, have you, sorry, have you guys come up with a solution? You've just, I've got, uh, my brain is firing here now. <laughs> just trying to think through that, what you've just no, talked about. No, that, that, that's spot on. I mean, that's that, that that's a problem that uh, we are working through right now. So we have a data governance issue, not, not an issue, it's a data governance uh, group that uh, we, we set up internally. And we are looking at all the different types of data we store the data we get, the instructions we get from our clients, how do we get them? Is it just through emails? Do we get it from WhatsApp? WhatsApp was one of the cases, I think one of the courts wanted to use WhatsApp. And how do we store it and how long do we store it? And uh, how do we, all the retention policies and those ones. So uh, one of the core concepts that, uh, that, that, that we are thinking of is if we can't see data, we can't protect it. So from our user perspective, our laws are pretty good, so they understand risk properly. So they, they, as soon as someone, a client says, oh, can we exchange instructions on WhatsApp, they send a note to our risk team and saying, is it okay to use? And that's when we get involved and say, yes, that's fine to use, but how do we you know, how do we keep a copy of it? And what terms do we have with our clients? So it becomes an issue where you know, we are entering into the consumer-grade you know, solutions and also sort of you know, consumer apps where it could have their own privacy data, so it becomes a bit difficult. It's, it, we can write a policy, but again, policy is only as good as you know how how much can we enforce it. The consumer apps, it's uh, when we look at shadow IT, policy is as good as uh, you know until the point where we can see data and, and see the information. As soon as we go into the consumer or privacy space, it becomes very blurred and it becomes quite uh, serious as well. It's all privacy data. Yeah, hundred no, percent. And Zoom is a, like a, a pretty good example of that. I think we're excuse me, at the, like, as COVID hit, um, you know, we, we were users of Zoom and, mm. you know, many organizations were, but I think it was largely, it wasn't really ready for what happened, which was all of a sudden very large organizations were using yes. it for very confidential communications. Mm-hmm. And like my, my personal take, it was the, despite the, uh, let's, what's a nice way to put this, the interesting marketing language that was used during some of their, their encryption, mm-hmm. uh, like the interpretation of end-to-end yes. encryption, for example, yeah, yeah. Uh, was, was air quotes, interesting. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the I would say the, the sort of panic over things like Zoom bombing, yeah. I mean, that was easily fixed. You know, it was really just, it wasn't set up the way it should have been. Um, yes. But and I think, I mean, personally, I think Zoom's come a long way, but I think there's probably better options than these things like Deco Secure, which is a local organization. Yes. I'm not sure if they're yeah, on your yeah, radar. Part but, of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, they're doing some like really good stuff. Um, I've used their VC um, a couple of times and really liked it. Um, but I guess the point is when it comes to Zoom, that's controllable by folks like your, your teams. 
but something like WhatsApp, there, you know, there's no, you know, yeah, exactly, for WhatsApp, yes. right? There's no access to that. It's literally a black hole. Yes. Yeah, and that, that, that's the issue when, uh, you know, if we have any sort of uh, uh, communication with the client or if the client talks to us on 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 WhatsApp, as soon as the staff, you know, if they leave the firm, we have no record of it. Yep. So unless, you know, we actively ask the staff to file it somewhere to uh, to keep a record of it, we just don't have a copy of it. It's, uh, it, it is a tricky area. Yeah, very, very, very uh, interesting. <laughs> So here's a, a probably a fairly big question, but you know, given all these changes, all the the sort of um, the stuff that you've worked through, um, and I'm sure you've put in some very long hours to get to to where Minter uh, Ellison's sort of is now. And um, but what do you see as the new normal? You know, if you if you kind of imagine a year from now or two years from now, what do you think it's going to look like for for your the staff um, that you look after? Uh I think the the new normal would be uh, you know, end user computing. So uh, before COVID, not everyone had laptops, but now everyone had laptops, and also that acceptance of you know, work from home. So the, even the, the culture change where you know, work from home was was it too? So we had a flexible policy, flexible work work from home policy, but it's it's it wasn't uh, it, not everyone was working from home. There was a culture shift required as well, and I think COVID pushed that as well. When we had the code, everyone worked from home. Now we could see that there is no productivity tip if you're working from home. And in fact, I think in some cases, we could see lawyers working on the weekends as well. Now they've got this laptop, they have access to the laptop anytime they want. And you can see VPN session, longer VPN sessions and longer hours. And uh, yeah, they're sort of empowered to work anytime they want as well. And uh, from a culture culture shift perspective, I think yeah, definitely the remote working is a, is, a, is a massive change that uh, that that will stay. Even from yeah. an office perspective as well, I think from uh, from a, from a thinking perspective, we we would only go to office if needed. It's not because we have to go to office and you know show our you know, show our presence in office, and it's more you know results oriented work. And rather than, you know, you have to spend eight hours in office or seven and a half hours per day sort of thing, it's more result-oriented. Which to, to me has always just made sense. Um, some of the laziest people I've, I've worked with over the decades I've been working have been the people who have potentially been, been in the office for the longest <laughs> amount of hours because for them, it was a social. You know, they they were yes. they were there long hours, but they were there because they liked to chat and... Um, which is, you know, not not for a second saying that that's not important. You know, you know, culture is, is hugely important. But um, yeah, I, I think time in an office has very very little to do with output, uh, in my experience. Yes. But, yeah. yeah, I think it also uh, helps in terms of uh, developing deeper social connections as well. With uh, mm-hmm. everyone working remotely, so you, you place more value when you meet someone now. Yes. So uh, you develop deeper connections, whereas previously it was more like a, you know. I'm going to catch up with this person when you know uh, that person is in office all the time. So I'll catch up when I can. Whereas now we plan for it and we make sure that you know we develop the deeper connection as well. Yep. We yeah. yeah. Time. <laughs> but you're spot on. Yeah. It, it is so true. You know, you kind of value uh, uh, scarcity, um, and that face-to-face time I think will be scarce. So 100% agree with you that yeah, yeah. it becomes more meaningful. What what um. When I've thought about COVID, I've sort of mentally you kind of broke it down into different stages. So, you know, the, the initial hit where, let's be honest, I think for most organizations, it was just panic stations. You know, how do we kind of get through this? And then the the bit where there was sort of a um, couple of middle stages, the, the changes were happening. But it feels like for many organizations now, they're 
they're probably not into their new normal, but they're kind of getting that direction. Do you did you see different challenges during the different stages? So you know that the first week versus the you know four months in. Um, what what were the kind of things that were going on for for you and your team? Yeah, I mean we went to the same similar phase as well. The first one was panic as you know the main. I think probably a good thing was uh, was a laser sharp focus on for everyone to in terms of the safety of staff and to get them to work from home. So uh, there was this you know this single brain working towards a common goal, safety of staff and you know, enabling everyone to work from home. And that kicked up a lot of activities from self-service perspective. We we had to put up a lot of articles online to make yep. sure our staff has, you know, they can use self-service to you know, for some of the common questions. And it also, internally, we had to develop a lot of solutions, e-signatures, for example, when when our lawyer sign on, the, on a particular report, so that used to be a physical signature when everyone's working remotely. We had to look at e-signatures as well. And we had to look at a, a platform or an internal developed platform to, we had a platform already, but it was only used by a couple of users. So that had to be scaled up to the entire firm. And there was a team working dedicatedly on that as well. And then we had to get a sign off from our general counsel to make sure that platform is acceptable as well as a, as a report, as an output to our clients. Because for some courts, it may not be acceptable. So we had to get guidance from our general counsel and it, it generated a lot of internal activities. Print, printing and scanning, for example, as a law firm, there's some of our courts, we have to give paper printouts and some of our you know, records management, we have to give paper printouts. So again, those, those activities as well, we had to rethink how do we approach those printing and scanning needs, mm-hmm. and which means we, have, we in some cases, we have to enable home printers onto, uh, onto our network. So uh, in some mm. cases, we have to decide on, do we allow split uh, split handling? So we don't allow split handling. So we said, no, we, we can't allow you know, untrusted devices in the network. So uh, there we had to make some calls saying that, okay, if, this, if it's this particular make, if we know about it, if we have done our assessment, that's fine to uh, use a local printer. But in the, probably after that, we, uh, after the initial phase, in the mid phase, we started looking at different solutions, which from a longer term perspective saying, it's not a short term. Get a we'll finish this whole COVID pandemic stage and then you know, revert back to the normal. So it was more of um, everyone had accepted this is going to stay. This work model is going to stay, and our thinking was more focused on the longer term. Mm. Saying if, if this is going, to, remote working is here to stay. How do we look at in a different way of uh, in a, enabling printouts, printers or scanning? Is it really required? Do we need to have this massive printers in office or? When someone's working from home, they probably won't be using the office printer. Mm. Yeah, and I like that uh, you sort of had that longer term view, kind of using COVID to, you know, as a catalyst for change that was probably going to happen anyway, and looking at ways to, I suppose, rationalize and, and do things better. So yes. that it feels like a, a kind of smart approach. One of the one of the things that's probably a little bit different, I would say, for many organizations for you guys is things like the federal and state courts. And, and you know, when we were chatting before uh, the interview, you, you kind of mentioned that sometimes they were pushing Zoom, BlueJeans and Teams and, and different kind of collaboration platforms. And I was kind of wondering what kind of complexity does, you know, balancing the needs of outside organizations for communication have with like your internal requirements for security? You know, it seems like a little bit of a different situation that you would be in versus many organizations. Yeah, it, it also comes down to risk as well, right? So mm. if... Uh, so from, from a Minter's perspective, we don't initiate any Zoom or WhatsApp or so our, our instructions are pretty clear. So we, 
we, we tell our staff, we, we can't have, we can't initiate any calls on Zoom, free Zoom and those lines are just not acceptable. Yep. So if a client is using those, if coaches are using Zoom or the Teams or anything else, we uh, we ask the question on the due diligence done by the coaches or you know, by our clients. And in some cases, you know, it, they would have done the due diligence already and they, they'll invite us as a participant. In those cases, we are fine to use it. But again, yep. we have some reservations on what files do we share using Zoom or in Blue Jeans or Teams. Yep. If it's extremely confidential, you know, our staff won't share the files on Zoom or this one, they'll just use email. And if it's if it's us initiating a particular you know, telecon or collaboration platform, it's we use our corporate uh, WebEx platform and that's used for all the client comps and everything else. But in terms of using you know, personal or you know, uh, any of the free collaboration platform, that's a strict no-no. We don't use any of those. If a client is using that, we you know, it's, it comes down to the, the risk would have, risk assessment would have happened at the client side already. Yep. And we just joined them as a as a as a participant. Yeah, understood. And we we sort of talked about this a little bit earlier, I suppose. But one of the things we've seen a fair bit is with the the COVID kind of epidemic and, and sort of pandemic. For a lot of organizations, they've looked at you know, being less kind of location dependent. And, you know, you've kind of mentioned that that's something that you guys are kind of working towards and the ability to scale as well. And you kind of mentioned you've got a more of a cloud first approach now. Um, and I'm just wondering, yeah. like, how is that playing out? Like, is there a lot of workflows that you're oh, coming over? Yeah, the COVID, uh, like I said, it, it highlighted some of our weak spots as well. And it also validated some of our approaches. For example, Mancash archiving. That was that was a really good example for us because all our archives are you know, online, so we didn't have to worry about you know getting this new access to our staff for working remotely. It was just you know they could just go to the Minecraft portal and access them. And in terms of uh, say our security monitoring, most of the solutions are also online, which means we didn't have to worry about you know, uh, even though we have a lot of network based controls, we just had to change a few things to start monitoring our endpoints as well. Now, of course, our IDS and you know, the Active Directory-based controls and UEBA didn't, it, it did, it, they gave us a lot of false alerts during the shift, mm. but uh, now they're, they're being tracked as well. Now we're slowly scaling up because everyone's working remotely. That model has been changed slightly. So we are cutting out all the false uh, false positives and looking at the, the real, this one for, for longer-term view as well. We're getting the real alerts for the longer-term view and everyone's working remotely. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Uh, I actually love that. Your, I think that was your, part of your commentary in the article that I read um, about the end user behavior analysis. And I hadn't actually thought about like how many patterns would break, um, you know, when it came to an online oh, yes. detection <laughs> with COVID. Um, I'm guessing there was a lot of dashboards around the world just lighting up with, uh, you know, impossible travelers and and weird work hours and all sorts yeah, of yeah. Uh, all sorts of stuff. And even the IP based alerting as well. For example, all yeah. the IPs from our LAN shifted to uh, you know, VPN IP uh, VPN IPs because uh, there again our alerting was was completely off mm. because we get all these alerts from VPN IPs and we're thinking of we've got so many users on VPN and that's that that's norm in in COVID right whereas pre COVID it was only a few users we expect. Yeah, no, I get you. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the technology side of things, but um, you know, like end user security awareness, that behavior change piece is, you know, something that for most organizations now has just become critical because uh, it's your point, you know, people are sitting at home 
Um, yes, they've got endpoints and, and you know a variety of kind of protections in place, but also there's just this massive uptick in terms of volume and sophistication of uh, phishing emails and you know website lures and all of that stuff. What like has stuff changed for you in terms of how you've approached that, or like what, what's COVID meant for you in terms of the the end user security awareness training? Yeah, I mean, this we uh, we we have a heavy focus on end user training. For example, they've got monthly newsletters, and uh, we have annual security week. We also do monthly phishing emails. With COVID, we uh, it, it, it was we use the same platform, Mindcast, but uh, also we we started changing the flavors of topics. So yep. we started focusing more on on COVID based scams. Uh, the recent one we are running is uh, donations, right, for recovering from COVID or you know. On, Families impacted on COVID. There are all these scam donation donations mm-hmm. happening online. So we modified our awareness just to make make our stuff our stuff aware of those things. And phishing emails as well. We ran a few COVID based theme COVID theme based uh, phishing, and uh, there were some interesting results in there. But it, it again adds on to the user education. Then we also in the, in our newsletters we spoke about you know public Wi-Fi, the issues with uh, shared Wi-Fi. And uh, keeping their laptops and uh, mobile devices up to date. So all those things. When if they are in office, we send they send out emails and we tell them keep your laptops on. We're pushing out a, a particular update or you know, update your mobile phones. And people are working remotely at different times of the day. It's uh, it becomes very difficult to uh, to get their attention and to tell them or oh, keep your laptop on during this time. And you, know, you have to be connected to VPN. So we have to change the uh, change our user awareness uh the topic slightly but uh yeah but overall i think uh we yeah we i don't think we could have carried on the old topics even during covid we had to modify it and we could see the the trends in our mindcast portal this number of spam emails they just shot up during covid yeah and post covid we saw yeah. almost i think four to five percent increase in the blocked emails yeah, it was it was it was quite incredible. And looked at um, uh, it was ourselves recorded future. There was a few organizations where they were looking at the just the data in terms of volume um, of things like Corona uh, or COVID related domains that were spun up that were oh, yes, you know, yes. evidently and obviously malicious. And the number of spam messages, phishing messages, COVID related uh, lures it was just it was amazing. Um, one of the things I really liked um, your commentary on was the use of. Uh, real examples. Um, I think that's something that yes, is just yeah. so, so insightful. Um, and I know we talked about this uh, pre-recording, but you know how that, that is good to get cut through. Um, yeah. Like, has that been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, so what we do is we refer to uh, stay spot online and also run a search on the internet for real you know, phishing emails and then put that into test in, in our phishing, you know, phishing simulations every month. And that sort of gives us an uh, understanding of if it was not a phishing simulation, we could have had this many percent actually click mm-hmm. on that. It could be a ransomware. It could be anything. So it gives us a real feel of uh, you know how resilient are we, and what's yep. a user you know user awareness levels. Yeah, which is is just so critical. I know the the phrase "human firewall" gets you know kind of thrown around a lot, but you know it really is that, right? I mean, if they if you if you don't have users that are bought into it, um, you know the importance of security. Yes, like it's yeah, it's it's all for naught. Um, and and working remotely also adds on to the pressure that everyone wants to deliver. So they get this email and they just want to get through it there. Right? So it's uh, it's just that you know one microsecond 
you get their attention to that one microsecond saying, don't click on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, that, that sort of distraction that happens when, yeah, you're yes. working from home, you know, everyone's been talking about that, you know, pets and partners and yes. school runs <laughs> and yeah, all, all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it is definitely huge. Um, I'm very conscious of time here. And I, I really wanted to finish with one, one question, which is probably another kind of big one. Um, and it's really, what's the, you know, what's been your biggest learning? Like, what's your biggest takeaway from kind of working through this kind of COVID transition? Probably uh, the first one, uh, biggest learning is uh, is embracing uncertainty. Yep. <laughs> so the strategy, we, we we no longer plan for three or four year strategy as such. It's it's more, it can be a certain, we can, doesn't matter what strategy or, you know, what, uh, what sort of a longer term plan we have, we have to be, you know, that has to, Take into factor all the uncertainty or any any scenario that could happen, and the focus would be on continuity of uh, services. If we have I don't know COVID-like situation, remote working or flood or anything else, we have to have the focus on continuity continuity of services. So that was the biggest learning for us. Probably the other learning was uh, was getting when you look at solutions or technology platforms, ensuring that that platform coexist with other platforms and plays nice with other platforms. So uh, some of the solutions that we had, it, it was just very, very bespoke. Mm-hmm. And it only, it only works you know, in its own bubble. And when we when we have COVID-like situation, when everyone's working remotely, we get all these you know, 20,000 alerts. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that you know, we, you know, we spend less time in sort of uh, you know, removing the false alerts. So we are looking at solutions where it can integrate with other existing solutions and reduce the amount of time it takes for, for our team in terms of incident response. Because incidents, it's not a question of uh, if it will happen, it is you know, when when is it going to happen and what's the damage, right? So uh, all the solutions that uh, we call it, the biggest learning for us is the focus on continuity. And again, the, the technology that we are really putting in, it has to coexist and work nice with other solutions. Yeah, I get you. Um, I've, I've sort of done a little bit of research into the, um, I don't know what you call it, the, the problem of the false positive in, in you know, security teams where I, I, I think, um, and forgive me because I'm pulling a stat from about a year ago, but it was something like two thirds of the alerts yeah. in the average SOC were false positives and the average time spent, depending, was was somewhere around, uh, I'm totally guessing here, but I think it was around eight or nine minutes. But it's a huge, yeah. huge amount of time for an average yeah. security analyst to spend chasing stuff that actually isn't really anything that needs... Uh, investigation yeah. and it, that, that's a sort of i mean the times we live in we, we can't really uh, discount any false positive assets as soon as we get an alert for example we got an alert uh probably about a month ago where you know a partner was working on his laptop and they saw the mouse move on its own mm. the cur- when they saw the cursor move on its own they shut down the laptop and they said that the cursor is moving on its own and we initiated the IR straight up and within about yep. an hour, the laptop was off the network and we initiated an IR and we couldn't see anything malicious with the laptop. And we did some more investigations and everything and there's no malicious activities at all. Then then we found out it was you know, it was another Bluetooth dongle. It was paired to another. <laughs> but we, oh but it, it's, 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 it's the times we live in, right? It, we can't take anything lightly. It's, uh, it's just that you know, we are all hyper-vigilant. It, uh, you know, we can't take anything lightly. It's just not the time. <laughs> so yeah, we, no, we, we ended up reimaging the laptop and, you know, the partner didn't have the laptop for three days. So <laughs> we gave them a spare laptop and said, sorry, we just, we can't take chances. 
Yeah, yeah, but there's so much good, good in that story. Apart from it's, it, you know, it's obviously sort of funny, but the the fact that they were diligent enough to notice it and report it immediately and sh like shut down their laptop that that to me, like as a security practitioner, that must make you feel a little bit less stressed because you've got people out there who are that switched on and that reactive to something that could be. I mean, when you think about it, that could be a pretty big deal if it was a compromised yeah, machine. Absolutely, so, yeah, yeah, and that's the point of the. The false positives in many cases, it's uh, it, it is a nuisance, but uh, we can't really you know, block it out completely. And it's uh, every time we close a false positive, we have this thought in the back of our mind saying, "Is it really a false positive?" Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it, like I think you've kind of said it already, like the fidelity of the signal for yes. security analysts um, has just be become. I suppose so. Yeah, so important. You know where that those feeds, the telemetry is coming from, um, and the quality of that signal. You know, if you've got platforms that are generating false positives, like that's not a not exactly really yeah. a great thing to to be experiencing. Yeah, and one of the things we are working on in terms of the fidelity of alerts as well is uh, we are looking at uh, at the coverage, security solutions coverage, and the effectiveness. For example, they've got so many you know, security platforms. And we we want to make sure that we cover every platform because it's a, everyone's busy, right? So when we roll out new laptops and new servers, we don't want to have any blind spots. So mm -hmm. that's where as soon as we have a blind spot, we might miss an alert. We might miss, you know, we might miss that particular you know, monitoring that particular server or workstation. So as we add, so we are looking at this platform to add more coverage in terms of uh, you know, security blind spots. So. That also adds as another source to enrich all the alerts we get. So if we get an alert from an endpoint, we run a direct lookup into this this platform and see is it covered from other security solutions, and if it is covered from other securities, what are the signals from those solutions? And if it's not covered, then we have a bigger problem there. That's a blind spot. Yeah. Yeah. So much to do there. Uh, so <laughs> much to do. So we we have well and truly um, run over uh, Sunil, but I've really enjoyed the conversation. So always an absolute pleasure to uh, to talk to you um, and to be on panels with you. I don't know when we'll get to do that again, hopefully sometime soon. But um, yeah, I just really wanted to thank you for your insights and thank you for your time. It's been been an absolute pleasure. No, no, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for, for the opportunity. It's pretty exciting to be doing a podcast. It's the first time I'm doing it as well. So uh... I think you're you're a natural, so uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's been awesome. So th thank you so much, Sunil. No, it's at all. Thank you. Big thanks again to Sunil for the conversation. I really do always enjoy chatting to him. As always, thank you for listening to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. We have a back catalog of episodes, so please do have a listen to those. For now, I look forward to catching you on the next episode.